Kids are always so great. I was with uh, Rebecca and Simon and their kids yesterday, and uh, it's just fun to be around them and see how they they do things, you know, how they live their lives, what they engage with. Elsie and Rebecca uh, and Violet are quite different in many ways, so fun to see, fun to observe as we see the little ones go out here. So we've been looking at the idea of paradox, and, um, you know, in my teaching over the years, excuse me, um, students aren't always very good with paradox and incertitude. They they like things to be certain, and particularly um, theological students. They want to know, you know, what's what's the right answer on any given thing, you know, and if it's kind of a gray, they're not very comfortable with that. And, but the paradox is something that is a mystery, and there's a, a grayness in there that we, you know, have to accept. And so we've looked at a few. So far, we've thought of... Uh, Tears and happiness from John 2, the story of the wedding at Cana, when they run out of wine. It's a happy celebration because it's a wedding, but then they're, they're sad because all of a sudden they've, they can't provide what's expected in uh, the culture of the day, first century Israel. John 5, we looked at the idea of suffering and healing. Now, we often find ourselves in that place where, the, where there's both going on. So so good for Beth to see Beth getting healed. Good, good, Beth. Well done on you. It was nice to hear her on the organ today. That was very. I didn't know if she was going to do that or not. So well done. <laughs> I love the organ on the on the big hymns. I mean, I think you can't beat the organ for that. You can't beat it. I mean, it's just the best in my mind. Suffering and healing. And then last week we looked at mystery and revelation. <clears throat> John 3, the story of Nicodemus, who is the teacher of the law, and, but he cannot figure out what Jesus is saying when he says to him that you have to be born from above. You have to be born again. Remember, that word can go either way. And then today we come to this, you know, perhaps the fundamental paradox, and that is of death and life. I remember when my father passed, my brother was here from out west and his son Harrison. And we had just seen my dad. Uh, he was in a hospice. And then we, uh, you know, I, because I spent most of the time with him in those last, you know, year or so. I was shouting in his ear to dad, make sure he hears, because his hearing wasn't great. Dad, we are going to go get a bite to eat, but we'll be right back. Of course, what happens when you go away? You get the phone call. Somebody's died. He's died. And, you know, we all anticipated that, but it was a bit of a shock still, even though you anticipated Still a shock. So we go back to the hospice, and it's interesting that, you know, my dad, I'm, he's gone now, but if you touch him as I did, he's still warm, right? His body is still warm. So I'm feeling it. His, his legs, his ankles, and there's heat there, 
but I know he's gone. So there's a bit of a paradox in that, like how he has, like he's still warm. We think he could just be asleep right now, but he's gone. And we, you know, we all have had these sorts of experiences. So there is a huge paradox when it comes to death and life, and how does it go together? And so when we hear these you know, stories of hurricanes, as Danette said, you know, when people, things are blown away, people die, you know, it's, it's, it's right there, it's right in front of us. War in Ukraine, Russia, such people are dying all the time. Stats are about 50, 50 or 60 million people per year die. That's how many die on planet Earth. So there's a lot of death. At the same time, there's a lot of babies born, so there's this mixture, death and life. This story does some remarkable things with that idea, and I think for us as believers, it's really fundamental. So we begin. When a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha, Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume, and wiped his feet with her hair, her brother Lazarus was ill. So the sister sent a message to Jesus, Lord, note, he whom you love is ill. So this is actually the first story we hear in the Gospel of John anyway, where, where we're told that Jesus loves people individually. He's in a relationship of love with specific people. He loves Lazarus, he loves Mary, he loves Martha. So that's, that's a new picture here. I mean, we know he does, but this story tells it. <clears throat> so he's in a relationship with these three people, and he loves them. <clears throat> and in fact, we're told that three times here throughout this bit of John 11 that he loves Lazarus. He loves Lazarus. I was reading some Jean Vanier recently. He has a very good book on John. And he, you know, founded L'Arche Community, right? I mean, John Vanier, he had his challenges. We all have our challenges. He had his challenges, but he wrote a good book. Founded L'Arche. And he wonders if uh, Lazarus was actually disabled in, in, in some way, that there was a peculiar relationship with this person that, really drew Jesus' love. And the two sisters, Mary and Martha, are taking care of Lazarus. And so then when he's ill, there's a particular concern for this individual. Way back when, in another life, I worked for a year at Christian Horizons, and, you know, we had eight residents in our home, and, and everyone had their challenges. And but yet it was their challenges that actually brought the home together. Th that challenge, those challenges of those eight, that was the home. The relationships with those folk, that was what it was all about. And the, and the people who were serving, staff or whatever, it was all about them. So I can picture this, that Lazarus may well be challenged in those ways and his sisters are taking care of him. Very concerned because he's sick on the point of death. So as we hear, they anticipate that Jesus will come quickly, right? But for his own purposes, he, he doesn't. And that, that's very surprising. 
He wasn't that far away. So you can, you can imagine the sisters saying, having their conversations, because we don't hear all this stuff, that, like, where's Jesus? We, he knows that Lazarus is sick. He can heal him. We know that. But he doesn't come. Doesn't show up. So it ends up he dies, and he's in the grave now for four days. So more than just a few minutes, feeling a warm body. Four days. So he is truly gone. He's passed. He's dead. So that's the scene. All the questions that the sisters have, people in the town have, Bethany's not a big town. Wondering why Jesus wasn't there. So that's the setup. Finally, of course, Jesus comes. And he tells his disciples that it's for the glory of God that I'm delaying. I'm delaying. We don't like delays, by the way, do we? We don't like it when we have delays. They didn't like Jesus delaying. His disciples are certainly wondering about it. We can have our delays, and we're not very happy about it. I don't know. Thanksgiving's next week. I don't know if you're ordering a turkey or anything. Anybody got any delays? Our butcher, we have a major crisis in our family. Our butcher went out of business. So we buy a turkey from him. For years, we buy this big turkey. Arlene, what am I going to do? He's gone. This is a challenge. This is a crisis. So, you know, delays. So now we're delayed about how we're going to get this turkey. A lot of consternation in our home over that. Natalie's very upset. (laughs) So he comes, and he has conversations with the two sisters independently, first with Martha. And, you know, they both say, by the way, you know it, that if you had been here... um, my brother would not have died. But, so there, you know, there's a little bit of dig at Jesus here for them both to say that. But then we have these amazing verses, which are worth reading again, uh, when Jesus talks to Martha, and here he says, I am the resurrection and the life, verse 25, he who believes in me will live even though he dies, And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She says, yes, doesn't really get it fully. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who was to come into the world. So this is an incredible paradox. Paradox that a person dies, but they still live. And they live even when they die in Christ. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. We wonder how that can be. How can that possibly be? But yet that is what Jesus claims and says. That is the dynamic. And we'll say more about that later, but that, that's, the, that's the offering to Martha that her brother indeed will live. That's a, that's a huge statement. Bruce Milne, pastor out west, wrote, The life he gives us is nothing less than the indestructible life of the resurrection. I like this. The very life of the deathless God himself. Moreover, it is the gift here and now. 
the indestructible life of the deathless God. So God does not die. God is over. He conquers death. There's no death in God. And because we are in relationship with him, then that, that's, we get that life by extension. That's pretty amazing, right? That's pretty cool. Can we, can we accept that? I had an uncle in Northern Ireland. He had a Baptist church in Coleraine for many, many years. And I remember preaching something on this way back when. And my uncle Bill saying, well, you know, Alan, the resurrection life isn't just in the future, it's now. We, we have that now. And he was speaking to me as an older gentleman. Even now we have that. That's the Zoe life of God in us. So can we have the hope of the resurrection paradox in the midst of all of our daily deaths, of all of our daily challenges? Can we know and experience the deathless God who overcomes the indestructible life of the righteous, of the resurrection? So that's the words to Martha. So it's a bit theological. You know, how did she get that? Her response is amazing. I know that you are the Christ. He knows, she knows, that Jesus is the Christ. That's a powerful statement as a woman a declaration, a theological declaration in terms of her relationship with the Father, Son, Spirit, Deathless. So that's a conversation with Martha. Then Martha goes and gets her sister Mary and then Jesus has a conversation with Mary. He doesn't leave the place. He waits for Mary to come to her. So it's interesting. He wants to speak to both sisters and he wants to speak to them privately. And then Mary says, okay, Jesus, if you were here, my brother would not have died. And she's, you know, she's very upset. The one who you love. You notice there's the repetition of the word love there. Love. The one you love. And then Jesus cries himself because of all the pain and misery that Mary's experiencing. So in the conversation with Mary, it's both about love and it's both about the challenges that you experience, the grief. And then Jesus cries. Shortest verb in the shortest verse, sorry, dry mouth. In the whole Bible, Jesus wept. Which shows Jesus in solidarity with you and me, right? So in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our hurt, whatever you've got going on right now in your life, any anxiety, any stress, Jesus is with us. He shares with us. Compassion, right, is to suffer with. So Jesus suffering with us. So the statement to Martha is a theological statement. The statement to Mary has to do with the love that he shares for the family and then also the grief that he shares with Mary and the loss of her brother. So all of that is sort of setting things up. And then Jesus says, well, show me where you've laid him. Interesting, Jesus, the Son of God, who knows everything, says, show me where. Doesn't know where. Show me where. 
That's part, that's part of the mystery. That's part of the dynamic. So working with Simon on putting in a bit of a subfloor, and uh, he's a pretty good carpenter. He's learned this from his dad over the years. And I was commenting because he was using a pencil to draw a straight line on a hunk of wood. And I'm saying, you know what? Jesus probably did the very same thing. 2,000 years ago, he was a carpenter. He probably had something to make his mark just the way you did it. Then I wondered, what, did Jesus ever cut a, but, a, a piece of wood short? Did he ever make an error? Was every cut perfect? I don't think so. I bet you he cut some. And then I was saying to Simon, what did he say? In fact, I was saying this to the girls. What does Jesus say when he cuts a board short? I don't know. What does he say? Rats? Oops. I don't know. What's, what's a Jewish saying back then for when you cut a board wrong, right? I'm sure he did. It's all part of the, the mystery of who Christ is and where have you put him? And then we have the wonderful statement, right, that he cries out in a loud voice, calls Lazarus out, calls him by name, calls him out, and it says he spoke in a great voice. Everybody hears this. He's calling so that even Lazarus will hear him. And he walks out. Wow. That is phenomenal, right? Rise up, Lazarus. Just as he's going to call your name and my name one day, and he's going to call us to rise up. Wow. So all the dynamics of this story. And then John adds the postscript, well, a, a lot of people came to faith because of that. We're told that. They, be, they believed. But not everybody. There was another bunch in the crowd who went, who went and reported Jesus to the authorities, saying what he had done. So some believed, and some didn't. So what's our response? I like this statement by Jim Elliott, Christ the Good Shepherd. Here it is here. He is no fool who gives away what he cannot keep in order to gain what he cannot lose. I always like that. What is our response to Jesus? That's the point. Eliot, who is a missionary, said, He is no fool who gives away what he cannot keep in order to gain what he cannot lose. So to believe in Jesus, to take the risk of faith, to say yes, to commit your life to him. If the payoff is what Christ is saying, you're no fool to do that. It's worth the risk because you will have eternal life. I mean, fullness of life, shalom quality and quantity of life in every sense, how could that not be a wonderful thing? How could you not want that, right? Not everybody wants it. person in my contacts in Bolivia, 
She says, I, you know, I want life's enough for me. I don't really want more. I'm happy to kind of go and join the rings of Saturn, right? You know, that's what I want, just that. I don't know if she really believes that. I think if you were really offered it, you'd probably say, yeah, that's pretty cool. Pretty amazing. He is no fool who gives away what he cannot keep in order to gain what he cannot lose. So that's a question to us, right? Because what's our response? Really, what is our response? What's your response? What's my response? Daily, what's our response to this amazing offering? The Faustian story, right? Faust, he, he wants to be known and fame and have this incredible life right now. I want, I want to impress everybody. I want it all right now. The devil says, okay, you can have that. I'll give it to you. There's going to come a day when you're mine. That's the myth of Faust. And so Faust has it all. He's a celebrity. He's a Hollywood star. Everybody knows him. They all love Faust. But there comes a day when somebody's knocking on the door. The devil tells Faust, well, time's up. It's over, man. You're mine. And so you can, we, we can get all caught up in what we want right now and, then, and not want that. I bet you my dad, in that last final seconds of his, he was quite happy to know that he had something there in the future that he was going to. He didn't have a lot of clarity on it, for sure, but he believed it. That was his faith. I bet you that means a big difference in that moment. So I'm hoping that for you and for me, we will indeed say yes, because they don't all say yes. Somebody can rise from the dead, and people won't believe that. There can be an amazing sign. This is, one, this is the greatest sign in the Gospel of John, and not everybody believes. <laughs> you remember the story of Lazarus and, and the, the beggar man? Jesus tells that story. And Lazarus, who is now in hell, in Hades, says, well, please go, go, he says to Lazarus, the guy, the poor guy who died, go, go tell my family because they need to know. And, and then Abraham says to him, it doesn't matter, the sign won't make any difference. They won't believe anyway, even when the sign, even when somebody shows up. So going forward. There's the story. The paradox. Death is real, but not final. That's number one. How can that possibly be true? Death is real, but not final. Those verses, 24 to 26, are worth memorizing. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, even though they die, will live. I mean, those are amazing statements. We need to hold close. It's not... Final. If you're younger here, death seems like a long way away. You don't even want to think about it. I get that. I didn't want to think about it too much either when I was 30. As we get older, it's worth thinking about. So death is real but not final. Secondly, 
We live even though, well, that's not what I want. Our true life is found in relationship with God. So life is an extension, right? Our relationship with God, we have eternal life because we're in relationship with God. If we're in, we're in a relationship with God, then we can't die spiritually. Impossible because we're connected to God. Can we believe this? I don't know if you're interested in the web telescope and all that stuff that's going on. I'll finish quickly here. But I mean, it's showing incredible, incredible creation shots. 11, 10 billion years ago. And all the galaxies that are there, just boom. God says, let there be light. All of these galaxies with hundreds of million stars and every one is there. What kind of powerful light that was. Let there be light. Boom. Even God's impressed with what happens. He says, ah, that's good. I like that. That's good. Very good. Says that. Boom. So amazing. So if we're in relationship with God, then we want to hold on to that. Hold on to that. It's the most important thing for us. Hold on to it. As you explore things in and out, do different things, hold on to that reality. We live under the shadow of God's love. Jesus loved Lazarus. Told, told that three times. He loved him. But he loves you. And he loves me. He loves your family. He loves all of his creation. Every family on earth, Ephesians 5, 1, 2 tells us. Every family. God loves. Knows everybody by name. Living in the relationship with God. And then finally, of course, Jesus calls us to rise up. Rise up. In Lima, there's a famous monastery. And in the basement of that monastery, there's a place where bones, all kinds of bones. I'm talking thousands of skulls and different parts of legs. They're all organized out there. And on the wall, they have the statement, I am the resurrection and the life. That these bones one day will come together, Ezekiel says. So the invitation is to rise up. Rise up. You. Not just Lazarus. You. Amber, rise up. Sam, rise up. Then we can go all around the church. Henroy, rise up. Not just Lazarus. We all have this invitation. Much in us has not died. Much in us has not risen. Like that. What is in me that should have died, that I'm hanging on to? What needs to rise up? And you and me. May we say yes. May we hear God's voice, even in this you know, feeble little talk, a person speaking, but the Spirit of God can talk and work through these things, through His Word, in a way that actually impresses something. That's the way it works. So may we rise up. Going ahead to Thanksgiving next week. Rise up. Say yes to God. Give yourself to Him. You do it, I do it, we do it together. In Christ's name, amen. Let's sing a song of response and then we'll do...